Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Hi, everyone. I'm Lydia Finette, and this is Claim Your Confidence. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to be coming to you from Newsstand Studios in Rockefeller Center. For anyone who has ever been scared to get out of their comfort zone, I have a woman whose story will not only inspire you to try, but to do it in a bigger way than you could ever imagine. But first, a word from our sponsors. So sitting right in front of me, and by that I mean on a computer screen from Colorado, is Courtney Dewalter, who is one of the world's leading ultra runners. And if you don't know exactly what that is, we are going to dive into this over the course of the next 40 minutes. But to sum it up, it means running a lot further than most anyone you've ever met would ever run. The amazing thing about Courtney is not only does she have more accolades than you could even read off of a page she's been featured in every running magazine imaginable, but she continues to crush course record after course record and does it with a positive attitude and a smile that is so infectious. So first and foremost, welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I wish I was sitting in your little studio with you. It looks super cool. Yeah, I know. Next time, next time you come, we'll definitely have you. (laughs) So Courtney, I want to dive in because I think even for the larger audience, I would love for you just to explain what ultra running is. So let's start there. Yeah, yeah. It's a great place to start. So an ultra marathon is any distance that's greater than a traditional marathon of 26.2 miles. Typical ultramarathon distances are a 50K, so 31 miles, 50 miles, 100K, 100 miles, and now there's races that are 200 or 250 miles long, but you're just running, so you're covering those distances with your feet and um, carrying a lot of gear with you, a lot of food, a lot of drinks, and problem solving in a lot of different ways as you cover those miles. So many things going on at once. I know it's funny when you think about running, you think about a pair of running shoes. And one of the most interesting things to me as I was learning more about the sport was really the amount of things that you have to bring with you. So let's start at the beginning of your life, Courtney. You grew up where? I grew up in Minnesota. I have two brothers. I was in this really active family. So we were always playing sports and running really quickly became a thing that I just loved. I loved the way it made me feel. I loved how I could push myself. I loved it as a social activity. So I latched onto running really early on. And was this something that you did with your parents and your brothers, or was this kind of a solo sport for you? I played on a lot of sports teams with my brothers, and so we would, you know, run for training for those. And my parents were always active in getting out for their own runs. But for me, it was more associated, I think, with like the teams I was on. And so I was doing a lot of running with my teammates all the time. And I'm sure your brothers were helpful in pushing you as well. I have two brothers so and a sister who you know. So <laughs> I definitely know that competitive sort of multi-children family is always a helpful thing when it comes to athletics. Yeah, I feel really lucky to have grown up with 
a couple of brothers who never, you know, let me win anything just yeah. because <laughs> they felt bad for me. I always had to work for the wins. <laughs> and so how did you start running on your own? And when did the love of distance come? Because I've been running my whole life and I know that there was always a certain mileage in my head that I felt like I could never get past. You know, I was a five mile a week runner pretty much my entire 20s and 30s. And I mean, five miles a day, sorry, I should, <laughs> that would seem like not a lot of miles if you put that over the course of a week. But it always seemed like this number that was stuck in my head and you know, even five and a half seemed like a lot for a long time. So when did you start running those smaller mileage runs? And then how did you gradually get to a place where you were running such long distances? Oh man, it's been a real gradual build. Like through middle school and high school, training for track or cross-country running with my teams and with our coaches. Um, I think our our long runs on weekends would be, um, you know, eight miles for mm -hmm. a while, and then we graduated to 10 miles, and 10 miles would knock me out for the whole day afterwards. Like, that felt like such a huge accomplishment, and, like, it was so far with my feet that I couldn't imagine farther. Yeah. But then, you know, a few years down the line, decided to try a few more miles onto that. Um, and I guess after college, I just got really curious about road marathons. It seemed like everyone, you know, was signing up for a road marathon. So maybe I should try two. So I signed up for a road marathon. And I honestly, that morning, texted goodbye to my family and friends because <laughs> this is I it. thought 26.2 miles would kill me. I was like, this is the end of it. Like my legs are going to shatter. I'm going to die as a blob out on this course, <laughs> but I have to try. I have to see what it's all about. So when I didn't die, it triggered this whole thing inside of me of, wow, I thought that would kill me. I tried it and it didn't. So what's another thing I could try that just sounds too hard? That's basically been the driver that led me to ultra running. It's an incredible way to look at things because I think for so many people that even getting to the start line when you have that moment is the hardest part of it, right? It's not even the actual race or even a small race or a small run. It's really just getting yourself to a place where you're willing to walk to a place where, frankly, it may not work out yeah, and it may not be your best day and yet still doing it even still. Yeah, exactly. Not caring about the result, but putting yourself in it anyways. Were you a daredevil as a child? Maybe. I wasn't always in like an arm cast or anything. I wasn't <laughs> that kind of daredevil. Yeah. Um, my parents were always like, yeah, try anything that you want. What are you passionate about? Let's give it a try. But if you try it, then you've got to give it everything of yourself. You know, we couldn't halfway through things. We had to if we we're going to sign up for something or do a school project or work on a friendship, it was a hundred percent in on that thing until, you know, we either finished it and got through it or failed at it. And that was okay too, as long as we tried. As long as you tried. Yeah. And I think that that's mm -hmm. such a huge part of it. I mean, even as a parent, I feel like that's a hard thing to do, watch your children fail, but it is so important because you do realize, as you said earlier, you can come back from it and in many cases come back stronger. So you started in high school, you started running sort of track, and then you ran through college? I was on the cross-country ski team in college, okay. which spends a lot of the off-season still running anyways, but I was racing on skis, yeah. 
And then you became a teacher. You eventually got your master's degree and became a teacher. And what was that like splitting the time? At that point, did you realize that you wanted to be a competitive ultra runner or was this just something you were doing on the weekends and having fun? I didn't really know that full-time ultra running could be a thing. Yeah. And so to me, as I stumbled into the ultra running world and you know, kept trying these new distances and falling in love with the community and the challenge of it all. It was just a, like, I ran before work because I loved it. And I ran after work if I had time and I ran on the weekends and it was just a fitted in where I could sort of activity. And so then probably a little bit like that first marathon you, you ran, when did the, when did the desire come for that first ultra marathon? How did you find it? Where was it? Were you married at this point? What was that dynamic like? I mean, I have so many questions about that first run for you, that first big run where you thought this might be something I could do. Yeah, I completed this road marathon, didn't die, and then found out about ultra running by seeing a race advertised at just a local park near where I lived at the time. And where were you living? It was a 50K. I was living in Texas. Okay. So that's nice and hot. (laughs) Yeah. And this 50K was in this park that I always ran in anyways. And so I was like, 50K, that's 31 miles. You know, I just did 26.2. I have to try this extra, you know, chunk of miles and see if that's the thing that, you know, is my limit. Find out if that's impossible. So I signed up for that. I couldn't believe the vibe of the trail running world. It was like, so chill out on the trails that day like everyone's just chatting and talking and like you roll up to an aid station and it's just a buffet line of every snack you can think of really yeah it's like (laughs) sweet salty you know crunchy fruit anything so i'm like running along on these um dirt trails through the woods like filling my pockets with jelly beans. Oh, this sounds amazing. Yeah, (laughs) chatting to runners the whole time. I'm like, well, this sport is pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) After that, I finished it, didn't die and decided, you know, I well, I have to see what else there is. Like, what's the next distance I can try? And there was a 50 mile race. And so I signed up for this 50 mile race kind of expecting the same, you know, we'll just be chill and eat snacks and run all day. That sounds fun. And it ended up being just horrendous weather, like sideways hail, you know, windy, sleet. It was terrible. In Texas as well, or was this somewhere else? This was in Colorado. Oh, so you're running through mountains now. Yeah. Everything about that day pointed to, we should all be hating life right now. Like, what are we doing out here? But the people around me were just hooping and hollering, you know, making the best of this situation and finding those little bits of like positivity, I guess, that were just fueling all of us to keep moving forward. And that's when I was like, I mean, this is so cool. Like people who can find those glimmers of light in a really crummy situation, that's a special group of people to be around. And we're getting to do this thing we love all day long. Like great combination. So incredible. And I I guess in many ways, it probably attracts a certain type of person to the sport. So that makes sense that if you're running and it's sheeting down with rain, you can't have someone who's already sort of hating life anyway. I mean, you really are having to dig deep. And that comes to my next question, which is really about the mental fortitude it takes to run those distances time and time again. 
What do you do in preparation for a race? And this is, we're only at 50 miles, but what are you doing before that? How are you training? What is the thought process, both mentally and physically for you at that point? Yeah, early on, I understood it as a physical activity. So I wasn't necessarily like training the mental side. I thought of running as my feet and my legs and my lungs and Mm -hmm. building strength and endurance. And that was it really. So at that point, it was just like, you know, fitting in those runs wherever I could, getting in longer runs if I had time, but mostly just stacking tiny blocks on each other in hopes that eventually those tiny blocks add up to a substantial tower. And surprisingly, they do. You know, you don't have to do a ton of work every day to add a tiny Lego onto your tower. And over time, that tiny Lego on top of another makes this huge tower when you look back. And when you're running, if you have those moments where you can't find that glimmer of hope, you know, that day where it's just dark and your legs feel like lead from the first mile and you just don't really feel like you're going to go on, what do you do then? One of two things. I either accept the day as it is and sit on the couch with some ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Or sometimes the hardest part about going for a run is putting on your shoes and just opening the door. And so I will, you know, put in the extra energy to do that step, open the door, and I'll find that then the steps start to come a little bit easier. But just putting on your shoes can sometimes be the hardest thing. Again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning and that starting line, right? Just even getting yourself there, whether it be for a race or even like anything, just showing up in life sometimes is the hardest part. Yeah. So... Did you ever have a race where you just, you got out there, you knew it wasn't going well and everything in you wanted it to work and it didn't and you kind of had to admit defeat? Or have you ever had a moment that I sort of would say would be the confidence buster that you thought you would never come back from? And if so, how did you come back from that? I have had many of those moments. That's good to know. I'm glad to hear (laughs) that. I'm sure everyone listening will also be glad to hear that. Absolutely. I, I mean, so I finished that 50 mile race and then I decided the next distance I should try is a hundred miles. So I signed up for this hundred mile race in the mountains of Colorado. And during that race, my legs started to hurt. My feet started to hurt. My body just felt like gravity was too heavy on it even it was like how will i keep moving i ended up getting into this like really negative whirlpool in my head of just like negative self-talk and doubt Mm -hmm. so i was you know what are you doing here who do you think you are to sign up for a hundred miles like you're not a person who can run this far and over the course of about 10 miles of telling myself that I um, ended up dropping out of the race and quitting it. Mm-hmm. So you convinced and yourself. Afterwards, yeah, yeah, I convinced myself I couldn't make it. So why even keep going if I'm not going to get to the finish line anyways? Yeah. And uh, afterwards, some moments, it was for sure like, okay, well, I explored ultra running, you know, like maybe um, I'll just keep signing up for 50 mile races because I finished that and this is clearly like, I'm not set out for this distance. Yeah. So that was like kind of how you reference like a confidence 
shatter or whatever. Buster, um, for sure. Buster, yeah. I think, though, then it switched gears really quickly after having some of those moments where I was like, wait a minute, like, I have to try again. Like, there's no way that I can't just try and see again. There's got to be some other solutions I could come up with. There's got to be, you know, maybe some better training or gear I could look into to help me. Like, it was back to the drawing board and deciding, like, I am going to be a person who can finish 100 miles. And now I just have to find the puzzle pieces that help me do that. When do you decide then that you're going to take this on full time? Because it wasn't at the 50 milers. This is, you've run your 100, it doesn't go well. But when do you decide to make a go of this and leave teaching full time? Yeah, not until about five years after that. Okay, so then you're just, you run your first 100 mile when after that race. It doesn't go well. You're sort of, you've had your moment, you've stepped back, you've reassessed, you come back to the starting line where? Where is the, where is the sort of rocky scene for us? Set this up for us, Courtney. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, exactly. You're running up the steps. I can see it now. Yeah. Um, so I picked a different 100-mile race the following year that I spent the whole year just trying to understand ultra running a little bit more, try to train a little bit more, try to like, you know, figure out all of the all of the pieces that held me back the first time. Mm-hmm. And then that second attempt at it I did in Minnesota, which was pretty special, like circling back to my my dad and brother. My husband were there helping crew and pace me. So it felt very like a coming home that I had this whole team to support me in this mission. And standing on that start line, I knew like, okay, last time I made it to 60 miles and then convinced myself to quit. This time I'm making it to 100 miles and when it feels like I need to quit, that's when I'm going to be strong in my brain. Like mm-hmm. I knew the physical part would still be really hard. Running is hard. Yeah. Like yeah. It, running is it's hard, hard yeah. no matter what distance you're going. But I knew at that starting line, like my brain is going to have to be the tough one here to help me get to the finish line. And that was actually like pretty pivotal in helping me understand the connection our brains have with our bodies and like what we tell ourselves matters. You know, that negative self-talk does nothing for us. And if we can, you know, flip the script to be positive, it can help in so many situations. And I know that you talk so much about the sort of positive mindset. I also love how much you talk about your community, even thinking about your family, being there to crew, even thinking about the supporters. And I've run a couple of marathons. One of them did not go well at all. I would pretend that it was like your 60 miler, except of course it was half the distance. That doesn't matter though. It's the same, you know? The spirit of the marathon and the spirit of a running community is just so fun because there are people cheering you along, but ultimately it comes down to you. There is nothing else that anybody can say if you want to stop, even if they're cheering for you, your body's going to stop. So that is such a remarkable story. And I love the fact that you, and I'm hoping that the end of this is that you finished it since I just jumped in front of your story. <laughs> but um, but I can tell by the smile on your face that you finished it. And what did that feel like to come across the finish line? I mean, how many things had you put aside to get there at that point? It felt incredible. And to celebrate with people I loved and have worked a whole year for this one thing. Like, I think anyone, no matter what the thing is, can relate to that. Like, 
when you put a lot of time and energy into a goal and then you get it no matter how long it took to get there it felt really cool but also like it I just felt really tired (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to sit down immediately um it had in that the hundred I finished the last 10 miles were a struggle like I was just crying as I was running you know but in that physical pain I was experiencing I was just focused on the mental side and like telling myself that I was okay and that I was going to make it and putting that on repeat for the last 10 miles was the only way I made it. You talk about a pain cave. Will you tell our listeners about that? Because I do think it's applicable to so many things in life. I I love the pain cave. <laughs> so it's basically just an image I have in my head now of when I reach that point where it feels impossible to keep going forward then I go into this pain cave and I put on a hard hat and I grab a chisel and I go to work in the very back corners of this pain cave to make it even bigger because then it gives me this image of like productivity, you know, during those difficult moments. Like this is what I came here for. This is why I signed up for this silly long race. And by getting to this moment where I reached the entrance of my pain cave, I get to actually do the work of making myself better for the next visit to it. So like picturing that the cave gets bigger with each visit and having that be, you know, the purpose of the physical discomfort. The story just helps me in celebrating the difficult moments. Such an incredible way to look at it. I was reading about one of the races that you did that you ran the last 12 miles without being able to see. Um, that your vision had gone blurry and you just kept going. And it's really remarkable as a bystander, but I think just as a human to understand how much more we can do than we physically think that we can do. And I've seen it happen in friends. I've, I've experienced it myself. We had an accident this past year and I can't tell you how many times I thought to myself and other people said to me who had had similar issues or worked in places where they were constantly being physically challenged how important that positive mental element is. And I think that goes through the entire theme of confidence because frankly, once you're confident in yourself, it doesn't matter what happens around you because if you believe that you will be okay no matter what happens, then ultimately you will be okay no matter what happens around you, right? Yeah, there's so many ways to discover these same ideas, but for me, ultra running has put it front and center of how powerful our brains are and our attitude and our mindset about situations and my hope always is to take you know these things from running and apply them to daily life Um, sometimes applying them to running feels a lot easier and like more concrete but it's a learning process that um, i'm just excited to like have the basis of the knowledge and understanding to help you know in applying it to the rest of my life so at what point now, you've, you've done your 100-mile race, you've done five years of this, and you finally take the leap. You know, you decide to go with your side hustle. <laughs> of course, your side hustle looks <laughs> a lot different than most people's, but you, you take the leap. So what does that conversation look like? Are you and your husband, I believe he also runs with you, paces you and crews you, which for people who don't run means essentially he runs with you to keep you on pace. And then it helps set up things for you along the way in advance of you coming to aid stations. Am I correct? 
Yeah, yeah. Basically, like moral support, safety support, things like that. So, what was that conversation like? Was it something that you both knew was about to happen, or was there a certain race where you said, "Okay, I need to go all in on this"? Sorry, students. <laughs> yeah. No, it was kind of like um, I don't know. I guess we both were like, "Dang, like we gotta fill our days." And life is short. And like when we're 90 sitting in our rocking chairs, we want to look back and feel like we explored everything along the way that we wish we had explored. Like we didn't want to wonder what if. Yeah. And so this was basically a thing. Like it wasn't even like a side hustle yet. I didn't have necessarily the results that said that I could make it a side hustle, but I was like, what if I just go all in on this for a minute, see what happens. And if I don't like it or it doesn't go well or the million reasons it could have ended in, I don't want to say failure, but just like a misstep, then we just divert back to the original roadway. But like, let's take this side road for a minute and just see, because why not? And so did it feel any different at that first starting line when you've made that decision, when all of a sudden this is kind of it, this is your new role, this is what you're doing? What did that feel like? Kind of, but I also, when I decided to go all in, I was very intentional about not ruining running. Like running is something I want to do my entire life. And I was nervous that if I went all in on it and, you know, felt any different pressure or you know, it felt different to be doing it full time that lose the joy. it would take the fun out of it. Yeah. yeah. And so I was very intentional that this was still, you know, the thing I loved and it remained the thing I love. I just now had more time and energy to invest in it. So that first starting line, it felt strange, but it also felt like the same thing, like pinning on a bib, you know, getting to do this thing I love for an entire day. Putting your shoes on. How lucky are we? Yeah. Yeah. And then how did that first race go? Uh, Let's see. So I guess that would have been maybe the Moab 240, which is 240 miles long. Okay. So (laughs) I'm sorry. Let me just even back up from there. 240 (laughs) miles. So you're standing at the race and you're thinking to yourself in three and a half weeks when I finish this. No, but in all seriousness, what... What do you do when you start a 240-mile race? What does that look like time-wise? When do you sleep? How do you eat? I mean, walk me through this. This is so not a part of my everyday, and I'm sure anyone listening just has their jaw to the ground. I know Joe, who sits here with me, definitely has his jaw to the ground. Tell us about a 240-mile race. What is that like? I thought I I saw his coffee spit across the screen. (laughs) I think it might have, actually. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, that's another distance that's possible and it's been really cool. It's probably picked up steam in the last couple of years where there's just more races of that absurd distance available. (laughs) Um, but it's crazy, but it's also like so cool and such a, like, I don't know, you stand on the start line of it and for sure, like I can't fathom 240 miles away. So it's basically living in just that moment, like staying right where your feet are, taking care of yourself and moving as best you can, as much as you can. Yeah. And these in these races, the clock keeps running, whether you're sleeping or not. So like some people in a 240 mile race will get to an aid station and sleep there for a few hours. 
And then other people will try to not sleep at all and just keep on covering ground to get to the finish line as quickly as possible. Um, so there's a lot of ways to go about it, but definitely you're carrying more gear than in a shorter race. Um, the distances between aid stations would be like sometimes about 20 miles. So just be like you and you know, like buzzards out in the desert. <laughs> and how hot is it? I mean, what's the temperature? It was pretty hot. That that year, I think we were in the 90s oh um, during that first day, which is out in the desert around Moab. But the race also, because it's so long, you cover a lot of distance, gets into um, some mountains over there. So we were in like the 30s then overnight parts of it so it was extreme temperature swings for sure and what was your strategy did you sleep at the aid station or did you hunker down and sleep for you know did you get 10 hours of sleep in the middle of the race yeah no my strategy for this was to not sleep and to try to keep on moving as much as possible um but the race took me over two days and in that second night i found myself getting really really sleepy so I did try a 20 minute lay down in at an aid station. My crew was there, they had a sleeping bag. I just laid down for those 20 minutes, but I had a really hard time shutting down my systems. And so I didn't really fall asleep during that time. But then later on the trail, and this part is like still very crazy to me. I was falling asleep while I was running. So I, I was just like, I'm gonna lay down my pacer was with me, a, a friend of mine running with me. And I said, time me for one minute. I just am going to close my eyes for a minute. And I laid down, I conked out. I was like instantly REM cycling. And when he woke me up after one minute, I could have sworn he let me sleep for eight hours. Like I felt totally recharged, rebooted. Like my brain was fresh. My body was fresh. It was the craziest thing I've ever experienced. That is an incredible story. And in this one minute, in this power, one nap. minute power nap, <laughs> you honestly should bottle that. And that should be your next side hustle where you bottle the one minute <laughs> power nap for a two day race. So how long did it ultimately take you and how did you do? About 58 hours to run it. Yeah, no I made deal. it. 58 hours. Yes, you made it. What did you eat? What was your celebratory meal after you finished? beer and then this huge mountain of nachos um i think like savory and cheesy sounded really good to me yeah i guess anything at that point would sound good anything. to you anything yeah <laughs> and did you just feel amazing did you feel such an essential sense of accomplishment i mean using the strategy from the first starting line where it is just be present right you're doing what your feet can do at that moment and nothing more. And then 58 hours later, you've done it. What does that moment feel like? It took some days to process. It was such a big thing. And there were so many tiny moments along the way of that huge undertaking. So, I mean, it was weeks of just like processing through, you know, sifting through these memories of sunrises or snacks or, you know, stories told with people around me, stuff like that to like, finally package it together into this like, whoa, that was like a huge adventure. And basically then I just wanted more adventures. I was like, ready for I more need to sign up for more stuff. Yeah. Is there a 400 mile <laughs> race available? So 
What was the next thing? What came next? And then take us through the trajectory from there on. You've done the 240, you finished. So all of a sudden people must be looking at you as if this is a completely new competitor who's come on the scene, right? I mean, 240 miles is not for the faint of heart and you finished it. So then what comes next and where do you go from there? Trying to nail down those really long distances now of like how my brain and body are connected and what strategies I can use in my brain to help my feet keep moving forward. So it's been kind of just staying in that same area of distance, but playing around with the puzzle pieces a little bit to um, feel like it's a more fine-tuned system than like just throwing darts in the dark. I listened to a podcast where someone said that you had recently done a race that was considered one of the most impressive ultra marathons that they had ever seen. And this was a guy speaking. I think he'd also run the race. Do you remember which one? This was quite recent. And he said it was just, you were on an island somewhere and he'd just never seen anything like it. And that you not only were one of the top finishers, but you were one of the top finishers, men and women. So it wasn't just that you were crushing the women's field, but now you're in the top finishers and the men. So tell us a little bit about that experience because the race sounded amazing. Super cool. It's on an island called Reunion Island, which is down by Madagascar, very far away from the United States. Basically, the island is kind of like jungly and mountainy through the middle and then beautiful beaches around the outside of it. And this is a race that's 100 miles from one end of the island to the other through that mountainy region. So it was so beautiful and also just so difficult <laughs> and uh, like, um, I don't know, just kind of like beats you down. And th there are moments during that race where the negativity still sometimes wants to creep in. You know, it's not like fully perfectly blocking out the negative thoughts, but yeah. when they do now, I try to like flip the script as quickly as possible. And so when those negative thoughts were coming in, they were like, would be rolling through a little town or something and thinking like, I should just buy a house here and stay here the rest of my life. <laughs> this is Because it. that means I could quit this race right now. <laughs> but you didn't. But it was you really kept cool. going. And when things are hard, when it takes everything of you to get to that finish line, whatever the finish line is, it just feels like so satisfying, you know? So yeah. to reach that finish line was like, man, so good. <laughs> so good. And what do you think you would say to someone who said to you, you know, I just never have any confidence when it comes to running or anything in life. What advice would you give to someone? Because obviously you have a lot of confidence in yourself, but I think a lot of that has been learned through experiences that didn't go your way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've been saying, like just trying, like line up for the thing or put on your shoes or start the thing, open your laptop, whatever it is, you know, like do that first thing and then try to gain momentum from there. And I think like, I don't know, mantras can help a lot. So saying something in your head that's positive and helpful as opposed to dwelling on all of the reasons why this might not work. You know, the mantra could be very literal, like be brave or like just try or something, or it can just be neutral and leave no space for the negativity, but making sure that that isn't your blocker, like your own doubt of yourself being your blocker is, it's such a bummer. Yeah, 
it's it's such a bummer and you see so many people fall into that trap and it keeps them from trying and frankly, from even getting into a room or going on a race. So I wanna wrap this up by telling you a quick story. So I learned of Courtney through my younger sister, Hillary, who is a big runner. And she ran with Courtney this summer and was fundamentally changed by the experience. And she was supposed to be watching my kids on Marathon Sunday or the Saturday before Marathon Sunday in New York City because I had an auction that night. So she was gonna come over my husband was traveling. And she called me around noon the day before the marathon and said, hey, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to sit because I think I'm gonna be running the marathon tomorrow. And I said to her, wait, what? <laughs> I said, what do you mean you're gonna run the marathon? Are you training for the marathon? And she said, no, but you know, I've been running. And Courtney always says, you should just go and try something even if it doesn't work out. So I found a guy who has a bib and I'm gonna go to the Javits Center and see if I can get a bib and run the marathon tomorrow. And I've run the New York City Marathon a couple of times. And as I said, the second time it did not go well. So I have experience with a good marathon and a bad marathon. And I didn't say anything because of course now she's um, told me about your mantra and how this should all work. But unfortunately she was not able to get the bib that night, but it was such an inspiring thing to see her who really I don't think has been running more than, you know, eight to 10 miles on a, a long weekend, just get down to the Javits Center to try to get a bib so she could run a marathon that she hasn't trained for. And as I said earlier, I've been, I was in a car wreck and I've been a runner and I haven't been running because I had a spinal fusion and it just doesn't feel good. And that next day I went out for a long run using the same thing that she said. So even if you don't know it, you're inspiring people everywhere, Courtney. And I know that anyone who listened to this today will be so inspired by you. So where can we find you? What's up next? I just saw a masterclass launching on Instagram that I will obviously sign up for as soon as we get off this <laughs> podcast. But tell us a little bit more about what's coming up for you and where we can find you for more incredible inspiration and running tips. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram is probably the best place at Courtney Duolter. Um, and I am excited to be, you know, putting together more racing seasons and just exploring what we can do if we go all in on something and use our brains to help us move. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Claim Your Confidence. And a huge thank you to everyone for tuning in today. I hope you will follow along on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Lydia Finette. And I'll also be posting about this episode, upcoming guests and recording time. So you can stop by Newsstand Studios in Rockefeller Center and say hi. A special thanks to Joe at Newsstand Studio, without whom none of this incredible podcasting magic would happen. Courtney was an incredible guest. And one thing I want you to all think about that she said was, when she's at the starting line of a race, she's present. It's all about what's happening right there and putting one foot in front of the other. What are you doing this week to stay present? DM me with anything that you are doing this week to make sure that you are staying fully present and taking it one step at a time. Thanks again for tuning in to Claim Your Confidence.